0: We've waited for this day We've gathered in your
1: question. The very first line of our song says, we've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Don't raise hands. Don't say amen. Don't. Did everybody here anticipate with great anticipation meeting today, worshiping together? Or did it just dawn on you when I said it now? Let's pray. Lord God, we would pray that we would be a people marked by great anticipation when we, knowing that we're going to come together each and every week and worship uh, you together in one accord with the body of Christ. Lord, we pray that uh, we would spend our week praising you and studying your word and praying and being in constant fellowship with you and with each other. So that when we come on a day like today, we can celebrate. And we can just, uh, Lord, give all of our lives, all of our hearts to you. We've, knowing that um, uh, today is such a, a special day in the body of Christ uh, each and every Sunday morning. Lord, help us uh, that we would come together with great anticipation. Uh, that we would meet with you and meet with one another. And uh, just grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord each and every day. Lord, we thank you for this day in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Um, James asked me to make a big deal out of the. um, See, I've already blown it Uh, out 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 of the connection card, out of the connection card. So if if you would grab one of those uh, white cards. And, uh, and fill that out. We have a lot of uh, guests and visitors with us each and every Sunday. I know we've seen a lot in the hallways today. So if you haven't filled out any uh, information about yourself yet, please do so uh, now so that we can have a record of your attendance. We'd love to know who you are. So please do that. For the rest of us, there's always an opportunity to put a prayer request on that card, and the pastor and staff will be faithful to, to pray for those, okay? So please do that and put that in the offering plate as you leave uh, today. Well, we're going to redo a a song that we did when we uh, started Ephesians 4 a few months ago before Christmas that reminds us of of why we're here, to walk worthy of the calling to which we are called. Amen? Let's sing it together.
0: Count it all. I'm
1: of Christ, so that whether I come, this is Paul um, writing this, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear you of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now this is from Philippians, but it's really a companion verse to Ephesians 4, 1, isn't it? Talking about walking worthy of the calling to which we are called. Let's sing about that today. Make us one, Father God, make us one. song reminds us so so beautifully that unity is not so much for us as a unified church shows the light of Jesus Christ to the world. Amen. And so let's remember that as we go out into as we go out into the community.
0: Christ alone my hope is found He is my light, my strength, my song This cornerstone, is solid ground Firm through the fiercest trial and soar What heights of love, what depths of peace When fears are still The. <laughs> body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth
1: unity of our being the body of Christ, called to give Him glory. Amen. One heart, one spirit. One heart, one spirit,
0: one voice to praise you. We are the body.
2: Shall we pray together? Let's bow before the Lord. Father, you clearly prayed in your high priestly prayer that, Lord, we could truly call the Lord's Prayer that we, as your people, would share the same unity that you share with the Father. Lord Jesus, that is something that is mind-blowing that we can experience here on earth, something that is given and only shared between you and the Father. Lord Jesus, what an incredible privilege it is uh, to be a part of your church. And Lord, help us today. May we refocus. May we have a church reset about what ecclesiology really is, what it is to consider the church, and Father, may we take inventory, take stock in our own lives about how we view your church. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Are you ready for the reading? So you've already been reading, right? Here it is. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. If you remember we've preached through those three verses. Now for this morning. And the next few weeks. There is one body. One spirit. For further Elaboration on that, he uses a clause. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. John you know of the Bible is clear that Jesus himself said, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18 reveals that to us. Jesus said, I will build my church. He's already begun to build his church. He's continuing to build his church. And on the authority of scripture, he will complete it. God will build his church. In verse 22 of Ephesians 1, Paul has the audacious claim To emphasize the importance of the church when he makes that staggering claim that he governs the entire world with the view of the well-being of his church. Do you all understand how staggering that is? To consider that God governs this world with the well-being of the church in his mind. That's an awesome thing to think about. Later in this book. He's going to describe the way husbands should love their wives. Don't y'all love this, men? Love your wives as... And gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians 5.25 Please pay attention to this reality. The church is so important to the Savior, the Lord Jesus, that he died... For her. Let this sink into your mind as well. Christ rules the world for his church. As the old hymn says. From heaven he came and sought her. To be his holy bride. By his own blood he bought her. To be his holy bride. And for her life he died. If that is true then as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think I, sh- I too should love the church. No amens? So, if that's singularly true for me, I'll use the personal pronoun, singular I. It should be true for you if you're a believer today. It should be central in your life. I think it's simply not possible to be a God-centered, Christ-centered, Spirit-filled Christian and not be a church centered person. You may get upset at me for that. You won't be the first one that's gotten upset at me about saying something from this pulpit. But I'll tell you on the authority of Scripture, I think it's impossible to live a God centered, Christ centered, Holy Spirit led life and not be a church centered person. I think that anything central in, in the importance to Christ and the Lord Jesus should be of central importance to a Christian. So in the coming weeks we're going to be studying Ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to think about core values. We're going to take stock, take spiritual inventory about our understanding of the church. And here's the question, to what extent am I a church centered Christian? To what extent and am I a church-centered Christian. Now, Christian unity actually is seen in two interrelated realities. And y'all know some of them. Look up, smile. Are y'all good? You, you know what the first one is. There's two interrelated realities about unity. The first one has to do with actually how we function together. Uh, is that not true? Look at it, worthy of the manner, the calling which you've been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience. That's the the manner. And then there's the means, forbearing with one another in love. So we see that interrelatedness in the body because we're actually living it out together with those particular characteristics. That's one part about the interrelated issue of unity. But here's the second one. It's based on Christian truth. Right? This unity is not only interrelated the way we treat each other relationally in this body, which should be marked by humility and gentleness with patience and then the means bearing with one another, maintaining the unity of the body in the spirit of peace and the bond of peace. But there's the foundation of this particular unity that we have. We're not a rotary club. We're not part of the moose, the goose, and the who got loose clubs. I don't know about you, but in the south we had the moose lodge. and Remember all that beta suit back in the day? We had all these different things of conglomerate of people that come together. And it didn't matter what you believe, but that's not true of the church. We actually come together for a particular purpose where it's based upon truth. So in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3... That focuses on the relational unity that we have as a part of our Christian walk. But yet today, this focuses upon the foundation of unity that we have. And here's the deal. How many of you noticed this? It's a Trinitarian foundation of unity. How many of you noticed the Father, Son, and Spirit as I read this? Well, that's the basis of our unity together. So as we walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We have a way we should walk. Humility, gentleness, patience. We have the means in which we are to walk. Bearing with one another. Did y'all have to do that this week? Did you have to bear up under? Bear with someone this week? If you're married, you did. Right? (laughs) Heard a strong amen over here. (laughs) Marriage counseling, right? And eager to maintain... The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So in verse 4 we move from the need of unity to the foundation of the unity. And here's the foundation. There are seven ones. So literally we could preach down through there. One body, one spirit. To which you have been called, called to one hope. Belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one father of all. We could do the ones. But as commentators have rightly said... The list of seven ones is basically threefold. In other words, three of these unities refer to the three persons of the Godhead God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the other four things have to do with the relationship of those three to the body of Christ. So we can divide this section out to the Trinity Spirit, Lord, i.e., Son, and Father. So here's what we're going to do in the next few weeks. We want to expound upon each affirmation. And then we want to try to demonstrate how the relationship of each of these affirmations with Spirit, Lord, and Father actually comes out to, for instance, the one hope and the one calling. Or the one baptism and the Father of all who is over all. How, how do those four statements that fall under the three headings of Father, Son, Spirit, how does that function? Why are those affirmations important for the body of Christ? Okay. So that's what we're going to do. You only have one point in your outline today. And that's the Holy Spirit's work in bringing unity. And listen to the word of the Lord. There is a one body. One spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. So. It's not the traditional way we sing it listed here. Father, Son, and Spirit. I, I, I think it's safe to say Paul is not trying to build a theological treatise on the Trinity. He's not trying to tell you, okay, the three persons in one, now we're going to tell you how they all function, Father, Son, and Spirit. What he is doing, however, is, is teaching for sure that the Trinity is a reality... But he's building upon the principle of unity, right? And so he begins not with the Father's work in unity, but the Holy Spirit's work in unity. So, one body, one spirit. Again, it's not a theological treatment. It is building upon the theme of the unity of the spirit. Now, question. Has Paul already addressed the one body, one spirit theme? Answer. Yes, chapter 2, verse 16. Listen to the word of the Lord. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby killing the hostility. And then a little later, down through verse 18. We won't read 17. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So in our context today, as we read Ephesians 4, Paul is bringing together the theme for the foundation of unity, which happens to be one body and one spirit. So stop and put this together. We should walk in humility. We should walk in patience with one another. We should bear up with one another. We should preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because there is one body and one spirit. The Holy Spirit himself is the one who actually creates the body of Christ, of which we are all members. The Bible says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, check this out, and are all made to drink from the same spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I'm going to come back to that in a little while, okay? So here's... Suffice it to say, first off, the Holy Spirit creates, fills, coordinates, orchestrates, and empowers the body of Christ. So body is listed first, is it not? There is one, say it, body. We all are familiar at least with people using that kind of metaphorical language to say, well, the body is meeting today. Church body is going. How many of you heard that statement? You knew of the statement before I read it in the scripture, so you are at least familiar with that metaphor. Look back to chapter one, verse twenty-two, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Listen, which is his? Say it. Body, the fullness of him who fills all in. All. So Paul, as he does often, refers to the church as a body. It's the body of Christ. This is a metaphor used of the church. How is the church supposed to be perceived? He doesn't say it's a dead body. So we're a, you have to assume that if it's a body, that it's a living, dynamic, growing organism. That's the first thing we have to see with this. There's, there's no idea whatsoever in the New Testament of a structural thing. When he's referring to the church, he's not talking about a box with four walls and a steeple. Remember that Hebrews do this, right? How did we do this? This is a church. This is a steeple. And open the door. There's the people, right? Look, he's not talking about the structural building when he uses the term body. He's talking about... The church, not as an organization first, but as an organism. (sighs) Do we need organization? Yes, we do. As a matter of fact, in the coming year, we're going to try to bridge over some ground that we haven't hit in a while, and that's to try to get the organizational structure of this church. I've been here five years, and I've heard this person over here, and this person over here, and this person over here. But the fact of the matter is, the church needs organization. It's called Elders and Deacons. Okay? So we're, we're going to work toward that end to finish 2022. And you pray about this, that we need to revamp, rethink, get that organization and structure in line. We know that it's needed. Have you ever heard anyone say this? I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. You ever had anybody say that to you? So what does that mean, that you prefer unorganized religion? I mean, I'm not sure. We need organization, right? We certainly learn from the New Testament that there's organizational structures. Yet the body, check this out, is first an organism. It is living. It is dynamic. It is a living entity. Just think of this. As we gather here on the Lord's Day, forget about time zones. I get that, okay? Forget about that. But as we... Join together today. There's a marvelous uniqueness to the gathering that we have as a people of God. This is a living, organic, corporate gathering. And I alluded to this earlier. But what makes the church a living organism? Because we're united to a living Christ. And he's the head of the church. What makes an assembly of people? For instance, different from the Rotary Club or a political club. Why is that different from this gathering? Because we are corporately and individually united to our living head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because we are in Christ individually and corporately as a body, the very life of Christ flows to this gathered assembly. Hallelujah! The very life of Christ. Stop and consider the vine and branch imagery that Jesus employs in John 15. What did he say? I am the vine. Well, the thematic structure is picking up on the Old Testament where Israel was supposed to be the true vine. But no, that's not the case. The real true vine is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And apart from the vine, the branch can do nothing. Here's the deal. We are grafted in. and, And without being connected to the vine, there is no life. There's just a superficialness. To it unless you are vitally connected to the vine. So John 15 will teach that if you bear fruit, it's proof of the union. And it's the permanence of it. And it's going to produce if you're connected to the vine. But that imagery helps us see that all of our nourishment for life comes from the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. If we look ahead to chapter 4, listen to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Listen to these words. For building up the body of Christ. That's organic. That's that's growth. For building up the body until we attain to the unity of faith. Listen to this. And the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. In other words, this body is growing. It is living. It is active. So, think of this. As we gather today, we have a special claim that no other gathering in this world has. We gather in the name of Christ. The risen, glorified Christ who promises through his spirit that he is in our midst. So when David started the service off by saying, have you thought about the gathering today? I'm like, wow, spot on, brother. Have you thought about why we are coming together? This is what makes the body alive. We get life weekend can week out, day in, day out from the word of God, from the spirit of God which gives life so I hope that you see when Paul uses this body metaphor he's speaking of a living dynamic organism to convey that this entity called the church is in living union with its head the Lord Jesus Christ he's in the midst of us and through his word and spirit life teams together among the people of God we are the church Please understand that this gathering is a supernatural entity. We gather as a little colony of heaven, indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. We came here today to sing praises to the living Christ. We came here to hear His word that gives life. The psalmist said, The law of God, the instruction, the Torah gives life, it converts the soul. So we are the living body of Christ. Paul says there's one body. Let's have a little ecclesiological lesson today. The text says one body. Now, how many of you have asked this question all of a sudden, or at that point, we ask ourselves, isn't there more than just one family, one church family meeting in the world today? Well, yes, there's more church families meeting in the world today right here in Ozark, Missouri. True, right? So why does Paul say one body? Was there just one? And that was the church in Ephesus only? Why was he saying this? When he says says there's one body, he's saying that there's just one universal body of Christ. When you come right down to the brass tacks, there is only one true church. There is only one true body. It is a universal body. The body... Is in heaven and on earth. And unless you hadn't figured this out, the bulk of those that are saved are already in heaven. Right now, that's true, right? So when we say the body, we're talking about those in heaven and those who are on earth. It spans across the ages, but it's still one body. Uh, For instance, Jesus will convey this to us when he says in Matthew 16 18, I will build First Baptist Ozark. Is that what he said? Y'all talk to me. Christmas lull, right? What did he say? Not that I will build uh, Crossway. Is that right? Life Point. Not that I will build Hopedale. Not that I will build FBC Ozark. But I will build, say it, my church. So this is to say I will build my universal body, the church. So the body, this expands across any ethnic boundaries. It spans across any time and space. Please understand at this point, that universal body, which is, by the way, visible, all right, is manifested in one place, that is, a local church body. It's not good terminology to speak of it as the invisible church. God saves people, and they're visible. When you say universal, yes. When you say, well, I'm just part of the invisible church while I'm on the ninth, Golfing this week. I'm on the ninth hole. Well, I'm part of the invisible church. Yeah, you're right. You probably are invisible because you probably don't know the Lord. Is that harsh? Well, it's according if you do that every Sunday. Or if that's your desire, that's another sermon. But the fact of the matter is, God saves people. They're real people. They're visible people. It's not the invisible church. So this local assembly, folks, is a reflection of of the universal church, not simply a conglomerate the universal church of our Lord Jesus is manifest in let's say it like this, these little microcosm expressions called churches now in the churches there will be a difference of the way we are now and the way we are when we get to heaven thank the Lord there will be, right? this is not a perfect manifestation of what the future church of the Lord God is going to be This universal body is made up of people of every nation, every tongue. Yet, listen, the principle is that you have in a local church, which is simply a microcosmic expression of the universal body. So in the New Testament, there's no tension between the church and, say it plural, churches. I know I'm laboring, but we have to today because people don't know. They they don't think about what the body is or what a church is. So the latter churches is a visible representation of the former, the church. We can demonstrate this by Jesus' own thinking. Here's what he said to Peter. I will build, say it, my church, chapter 16, verse 18. Yet a little later, when it comes to church discipline, in Matthew 18, 17, Jesus says this. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. This is a passage on discipline. Is Jesus saying... If your brother sins against you and you take two or three witnesses and he doesn't repent, then you need to put it on the World Wide Web to inform the entire universal church of the offense. No, he's talking about the local assembly. Matthew 18:17 is a local church. So the New Testament focus is dealing with church, and that ends up being the local church. Statistically, 34 times In the word of God, churches, plural, is used meaning local churches. The word church is used in the singular 76 times, and at least 55 of those refers to a local church setting. You have approximately 16 that reference the universal church of the Lord. Why? Because in principle, local churches are manifestations of the universal church. Now, is there indeed one true body of Christ? Well, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. It's in both heaven and on earth. Insofar as on earth it exists in local assemblies all throughout the world which holds to the truth of the gospel and faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Listen to how Paul greets the Corinthians. Listen to this verse. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord, check this out, and ours. Hallelujah for that truth. And as we gather today on the Lord's Day to worship Christ the Lord, people all over this world are worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. Dark skin, light skin, yellow skin, brown skin, all kinds of people who speak all kinds of languages have all gathered today on the first day of the week To call upon the name of the Lord. He's our God and theirs. And they're calling upon Him. We're not calling on a generic God. We're calling on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know in our world people are okay with the concept of God. But if you simplify that to be the glorious truth that Jesus Christ is God. Then Katie bar the door. Well that's why no one can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord unless He's led by the Spirit. Jesus Christ is Lord, right? What that means is if it doesn't bear witness in your heart to say Jesus Christ is Lord, if you can do that and you know it and you mean it and you believe it, it's only by the Holy Spirit of God that you can actually do that. So, it's the ones who have embraced his gospel and those who eternally will be in heaven and the new earth. So, there is a fundamental unity that all Christian churches have in common. And it's this, we reflect the church of the living God that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. Now within this unity that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are a local assembly that is a microcosm of the universal church, is there diversity? Whew, I sure am thankful there is. I'm glad not all of you are thumbs, right? Right? Are a big toe. You know, there, there's diversity. We're going to see that in the coming weeks, but God has ordained diversity among the unity. And there has to be an acknowledgement of distinctives. And let's be honest, there are some convictions and distinctives that we hold in this church. I don't think they undermine unity, I actually think that it demonstrates the unity even more. And throughout the world, even in our community, there are expressions of the body of Christ that are very different from the expression that exists among here. And I have to tell you, I would not necessarily feel comfortable in other places that don't carry the distinctives that I carry. And I, and I think that's why you're members of this church, and some of you are thinking about not being members of this church, and that's okay. There are distinctives. There are Those distinctives that we hold here. That are expressions of what we get from the word of God theologically. However, people go to one place or another not because you don't think they're real Christians. Be careful here. Or it's not a real church, but because you have convictions about certain things. Right? The Bible never downplays those convictions. I hope you hold to your theological convictions. I hope you stick to them. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible does, however, tell us that those distinctives exist within a larger framework of unity that you must acknowledge. Amen? A sectarian would believe that his or her own distinctives make them the only true church. Well, I got news for you that's wrong. A sectarian would say the truth existed really with the apostles. It disappeared for 1900 years and voila! God has now visited me and restored the church to us in our day. We now are the true church. Well, folks, that's not true. The fact of the matter is, we do care deeply about theological convictions. There are certain things such as baptism. I don't believe in paleo baptism I don't believe that infants should be baptized in any means to get them meritorious grace in the future. I don't believe in baptismal regeneration. I don't believe that... Well, that's a heresy, okay? But when churches will baptize an infant, we can't say categorically that that's a sin against Scripture when their idea may be that this is preparatory for the fact that one day they will receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I can't call that church heretical, right? Now, if they believe that baptism saves you, yes, I call that heretical. So, in other words, these distinctives are important. I'm a Baptist because, well, there are a lot of denominations that believe in immersion. But but that's a distinctive that pulls us together, right? We believe that believers in Christ should be baptized. I think it makes logical sense to me that when you trust Christ, then you are baptized, immersed. It's important. We don't say, however, for a moment that only those who do it like us and believe just like us are the only true church. That is not only uncharitable, that is unbiblical. Let that be heard clearly from here. That view is not only uncharitable, it is actually unbiblical. The glorious thing is that we do have unity in the body. There are distinctives that we may not all share together that we glean from the word of God But the fact of the matter is there is a unity in this one body. And praise God for it. The glorious thing is that we do have the unity. This dynamic is displayed over and over again while holding to the things most assuredly assuredly believed. So we have many today who would say for the sake of unity. Well, let's just throw out the distinctives and convictions. Well, I don't think the Bible tells us that at all. I don't see the Bible telling us to be charitable to those who do not hold... I do see the Bible telling us to be charitable, right, to those who do not hold the same distinctives as you do because they're part of the body of Christ. So charitableness, even to a denomination that's not SBC, y'all understanding this? Yeah, I got one right. That doesn't mean you have to agree with their distinctives, do they call upon the Lord Jesus Christ as the only source of salvation? Now, amen. They're not a church if they don't. I.E. Joe LoStein. No, we have to get serious about it. Some things are anathema. Some things are heretical. And I'm not against calling that out. For sure. But the fact that when you never hear the gospel and you never hear about sin, something's wrong. I mean, so... I think it was Chris Stixton. I put you on. The, I'm on national TV. When I was first talking about Chris, his words were, "Joel, that's not a church." Is that not your words? That's that's not a church. That that doesn't meet what the Scripture says is a church. So take that in consideration. However, there are distinctives that other churches will hold that we can't say is anathema. Right? We may not agree with it. But we might call those secondary issues. So, we also know the visible organizational unity doesn't come and cannot confirm there's Christian unity just because we come together, right? There's a standard of that. In other words, you got to be part of the body of Christ, you got to be saved by grace through faith, you got to be saved in order to be a part of the church. So, this comes from embracing those. Of genuine Orthodox faith, despite our secondary diversities as brothers and sisters in Christ, George Whitfield was an amazing preacher. They say that he could preach to 5,000 people without a microphone. I'm just a wimp, aren't I? He could project so well. But George Whitfield would do these soliloquies. As he was preaching along, he would all of a sudden just he would start speaking to heaven he'd start speaking to God the Father as he was preaching in a soliloquy form. He would do it, and on one particular time he says this, Lord God in heaven, are there Presbyterians in heaven? And he says that God speaks down to him and says, Abraham says in his bosom, no son, there are no Presbyterians in heaven. Well, Father, are there Methodists in heaven? And then he speaks down again. There are no Methodists in heaven. Well, then are there Baptists in heaven? And Abraham says, the only thing in heaven are Christians, my son. Only Christians. Folks, that's the unifying thing, isn't it not? We have to be in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of unity of the Spirit that we need to embrace. We need to see ourselves as having deep convictions on what the Bible teaches, but not seeing ourselves as the only repository of truth in this world. When we come to the term one spirit, I think you should ask why there's one body. And the answer is because there's only one spirit. Is that not true? The reason there's one body is because there's only one spirit. It's the spirit of God that brings each and every person into the body and into Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who in a real sense, establishes the church. He's the one who does this. Jesus builds his church through the agency and work of the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one that is actively working in people who form that body. He works in them by bringing them in. And it doesn't matter what your theological persuasion is, you do know that before conversion you were outside of the body of Christ. Is taught in the Word. What, what, it, what it is that took you from being an outsider to an insider is the mysterious, powerful, marvelous work of the Spirit of God. That's what took you in. There was a time when you were dead in trespasses and sin, and the Spirit of God not only brought life through new birth, but He brought you right in through the new birth into a living body of Christ. That's what God does. And at the bottom of your birth certificate is written these words, You are my people. Your people are my people. You become part of the body of Christ. There's one spirit that baptizes people into his body. Let's look at this real fast. Turn fast. Go quickly. 1 Corinthians 12. Listen. This verse is worth seeing. Well, it brings about denominational distinctives that I, I, I could not be under. Right? If they believed certain ways... Listen to chapter 12, verse 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that brings us into the body of Christ. And the reason I mention about denominations is because there are certain denominations that take the baptism of the Spirit and they turn it into a post-conversion experience. In other words, you don't have the fullness of the Spirit. Maybe you got them in parts, but once somewhere down the line, you will have a second work of grace or a post-spirit, spiritual conversion, it might be called, or the baptism of the Spirit. When you do that, you undermine one of the great initial works of the Spirit of God when you are brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And here is the picture. We're all baptized into one spirit. We all Christians were immersed into one body. And the role of the Holy Spirit of God is to take you from the place of death and into the place of life. And it doesn't happen after. It happens when you believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is ownership and transaction and authenticity. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're immersed into one body. I mean... Paul will say in another place, if you do not have my, anyone that does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to Christ. So denominations that believe that baptism is separate from salvation of the Spirit, you got a hard problem there. So I guess when you first trust Christ, then you're on a temporary time where you're not saved. And then somewhere down the line, you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now folks, the scripture says anyone that does not have the Spirit does not belong to Christ. So it kills the initial work of the Holy Spirit of God to believe that kind of doctrine. So the Spirit of God is the person who puts you into the body of Christ. But second, the Spirit also indwells each one in the body. Notice verse 13. We were all made to drink of how many spirits? (laughs) Right? We're all made to drink of one spirit. You will search the New Testament in vain to find any reference of two kinds of Christians. Those who have the Spirit and those who don't. You're not going to see that anywhere in the Word of God. When you're saved, the Spirit of God indwells you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, You are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Do you know that all that's plural? In that verse, it's plural. However, when you get to 1 Corinthians 6.19, and it says, Behold, You are the temple of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought with a price. That's singular. So folks, here it is. We all, if you're saved, have been given the Holy Spirit. When you were saved, baptism of the Spirit of God. And you are infused into the body, plural, right? As a member of the family of God. It's an amazing thing to think that the same Holy Spirit that indwells me indwells my wife. Uh Uh-oh, makes a difference in how you treat people, doesn't it? Just stop and think about that. The person sitting beside you, if they've trusted Christ, saving faith, that person is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If there are Christians, uh, if you are a believer, he also indwells that brother or sister that you can't seem to get along with. Oh, here we go. He dwells in ones that you are called to bear up with. He's called in the ones that you're called to be have humility toward. The bond of our unity in this church goes beyond our names on a piece of paper. The unity is grounded in the Holy Spirit of God. And finally, this hope of our calling. I know I'm moving fast because of time. The apostle says, One hope of our calling or one hope that belongs to our call. And what is he doing? He's actually fleshing out what the one body and the one spirit actually is. It is affirming it as just as used in the clause. In other words, this is not a new theme in Ephesians. Again, 118, listen to God's word. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. You know, Paul is giving that to us in a prayer that we might know the hope to which we Have been called. And in chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let this sink in. He's relating the call to being brought into one body. This is the call of God's spirit. Now here's what we would all admit. The circumstances. Think about this. Go back to the day you trusted Christ. The circumstances of our calling may differ. But I want to remind you, in essence, the Spirit of God calls all of God's people the same way. Our circumstances may be different. You may not remember the day, time, hour that you actually were converted. You could have grown up in a home where you heard the gospel and you saw the gospel lived out before you your entire childhood. You may have never heard the gospel until you were 40 years old. There's an array of circumstances regarding this call that Paul is speaking of. Yet the principal reality is we, it was the same right across the board when it comes to being taken from death to life. From darkness to light. From blindness to sight. From Christ to the gospel unto holiness. It's the same right across the board. You may have been seven when you trusted Christ. Thirty. 55, 90, sober, are drunk. Well, there are testimonies about people who were drunk, right? And God put them on their back before him. Now, we, we think about Paul's conversion. Uh, anybody been through those circumstances? Well, again, we, they're not reproducible circumstances that we're thinking about here. You probably were not knocked off your horse, left blind for three days. That's probably not the dramatic experience that you had. But needless to say, in essence, God does the same thing for every one of his people. Paul says, one hope of your calling. Paul prays that we have this understanding. In other words, this hope of our calling ought to make a difference in your life. Now stay with me. I'm I'm, I'm trying to land the plane. One body, one spirit. That leads to one hope that is involved with our calling to God. And this is what Paul prays that we would have. Now, th- this moves into the practical, doesn't it? And, and I think it l- at least means through three things. It's a, it's, fir- it's a firmly rooted confidence in what God has done for us in the past. Because hope is not the way the world defines it. As anybody would say in the world today, we hope that COVID goes away soon. That- that's wistful thinking. We-, we hope that that happens. But that's not the way hope is defined in the Bible. In the Bible, hope is confident expectation in the promises of God. He said it. We believe it. We know it's true. Right? It's confidence. So, folks, do you have the hope of your calling in your life? In other words, listen. It has something to do at least with what God has done in the past. We look back and we think about the confidence we have. Hope is confident expectation. Deep confidence of God, This hope is grounded in God's electing grace. Chapter 1 verse 4. It's grounded in God's redemption through Christ. Verse 7. It's, it's grounded in God's calling into us and to us. And it's grounded in justification. What greater hope could we ever have before our God that he sees us. And when he sees us, if you're in Christ, he sees the obedience of the Son of God in which you are justified in. Folks, that's great confidence. The world can take everything away from us but it can't take our justification before God wherein we're justified because of Christ. So the hope of our calling is confidence in what God has done for us in the past. But there's also this confidence that God is working in us in the, in the present. Right? So there's this present hope. I'm so thankful that God didn't save me when I was nine and say to me, okay, there's your one dash of hope and for the next some odd years before you die you're just going to have to mingle around on your own. No, folks, there's this present hope in my life that is a reality, right? It's something that I live in and with every day. Every day that I awake, I'm awake, i awakened in the morning and I get on my feet, there's this present hope. Not just based on what God has done in the past. That's a wonderful thing and it gives us hope. But what God is presently doing today. All that we need today, God has given you in Jesus Christ. All that pertains to life and godliness has been given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The hope of our calling is also that God will bring us to eternal glory with ultimate hope. What is this hope of our calling? Past, present, future. I've done a lot of funerals lately. I've done a lot of funerals since I've been in this church. And the truth and reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is never more reality than when you're standing at a graveside. I mean. Do you have that hope? The eternal hope of glory. Here's my hope. God will keep me today. Tomorrow. And the day after that. And the month after that. And the year after that. And God will keep me until one day. When the death dew lies cold on my brow. I will be able to save. If ever I love thee, say it. My Jesus, tis now. When the death dew lies on your brow, that's when you can say, If ever I've loved thee, my Jesus, tis now. Don't you love that song, My Jesus, I love thee? Look it up, it's in the Baptist hymn book, hymn number 210. My Jesus, I love thee. Here's my lesson for you today in regards to an invitation. Do you possess today the hope of your calling? Have you tasted of the sweet grace of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you sense hopelessness? If you do, listen to the word of the Lord. Strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. That's our condition without Christ. But I've got news for you. The greatest invitation you could ever hear is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself to Him. You don't need to leave this place lost and hopeless. You can leave with Christ in you the hope of eternal glory. Turn from your sin. Embrace the King of Kings. There are a lot of differences within God's people. In spite of all the differences, we have the same things in common, right? Same hope, same spirit. We belong to the same body. Look, folks, we've had a huge, awesome privilege and responsibility to be a body of Christ. Let's not take the church lightly. It's a huge responsibility. We lock arms together because we share the same calling and the same hope as others. And this is accomplished visibly in a local body of believers. And let me end with this. The greatest manifestation shown in the body of Christ to the unity we share is called the Lord's Supper. It is the number one thing that expresses the unity that we have together as the body of Christ. And I plead with you when we have the Lord's Supper like next Sunday night. I plead with you. Do not miss the most important thing that unifies us together as one. Why do you think the Lord Jesus Christ told us, Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Why? Because we've got one body that we hold in our hand. Not the literal body, but the symbolic understanding of that one perfect body that was broken for us. And then you hold in your hand. (laughs) That one cup of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed all of us from our sins. You're not as excited as I am. One body when we hold that bread. Same bread, same body. One cup of the blood of Jesus Christ that made us all one. To God be the glory. Folks, you don't know what we're doing as a church when we just say the Lord's Supper is not important. I don't have to go. I can kick back and watch the chiefs. No. Do you understand what brought you into the kingdom? Do you understand how you were saved and how you were grafted into this body? God, forgive us. God, forgive us that we neglect the table, as it says in 1 Corinthians. You know that's a sin, to neglect the table of the Lord. I plead with you not to do that. All right, let's pray. Father, you're good to us, Lord. Help us, Father. Father. Help us to think deeply about your church. Lord, we know there are distinctives and there's differences even among this body that I'm speaking to. Lord, but we join together, having been a people who have called out upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save our souls. And Father, for that, we are unified as a body of Christ, brought in through the Holy Spirit of God, You are in our midst because of the Spirit of God. You are teeming together in life and working in this church. Your body. Father, if there's an individual lost before you, it is only through the Word and the agency of the Spirit that we can be awakened to our lost condition. May we believe and trust you. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing through the Word. The Word of the Gospel of Jesus Christ has been expounded. Lord God, would you change hearts? Some things only you can do. Only you can change your heart. God, would you do that today? And for Christians, Lord, convict us. Let us take stock and inventory on where we are concerning your church. Thank you for the one body and the one spirit. Just as we have been called to one hope. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Have I own way. know that we've been hit hard with sicknesses, and we need to pray for one another. Uh, We've lost people in our church uh, due to this virus, and we know that. And uh, we we certainly need to continue to pray. We have people who are sick, even in our congregation now, that we need to pray for. Uh, Also, we need to be thankful to the Lord for how he's working. Dan and Daisy are here. I didn't know if y'all would ever make it back from where I did your wedding. As a matter of fact, I didn't know if I'd make it back from where I was. But glad they are back with us, just newly married. And let's just praise the Lord for how God has worked in little Kai's life with uh, Zach and Emily's little boy that went from difficulties with RSV and all kinds of things and and how God has brought him home. So we thank the Lord for answered prayer. So to God be the glory. Uh, We know our God answers prayer. Happy New Year. One body, one spirit. Amen. God bless you. Brother David, let's sing this as we go. May I walk worthy.
1: May I walk worthy of the cross,
0: worthy of the cross. May I glory in the sacrifice you made. Or may I never be ashamed of the cross that bears your name. My richest pain, I count it on.